You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the show. And this time we got another movie review, an MCU movie review to be exact. That's right, folks. We are talking about Eternals, which is the next big thing for Marvel to come along. And it is really world building and epic. And you either loved it, you liked it. A lot of people were like, eh, why did I see this thing? So it's going to be very interesting to see what the crew here thinks about. And we've got a lot of great people to talk about tonight. So we definitely would love to, you know, chat about it and hear from you. Feedback at earthstation1.com, of course, is the way for you to tell us about it. And this man, who's always eternal on this show, is Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! So you're millions of years old, right? I feel it some days. Uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, uh, you know, what's another, what's another revolution around the sun? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Unless earth is a giant egg <laughs> and we're just getting ready to hatch. <laughs> exactly. So this, so this could be our last episode. You never know. It could be, but you know, what better to go out than talking about a, an MCU movie with our movie crew and guests uh, in, you know, insert guest name here, but um, uh, very happy to do so. And for those people who are joining us, maybe for the first time, but we will have spoilers. So if you have not seen Eternals, uh, or if you, yeah, if you don't want to be spoiled, then please, uh, go see the movie and then, uh, come back and we'll, uh, we'll chat How about exciting. <laughs> Spoilers. Exactly. What he said. It's going to be a ton of fun. And truthfully, it, it's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to talk about and we'll go pretty deep into it. So be prepared to touch on everything about the movie. Definitely, you've been warned, as we like to say. Of course, we also want to say thank you to our patrons for being around. And actually, one of our patrons is going to be on the show tonight. Kevin Cafferty is one of our $15 patrons. And it's not why he's on the show tonight. He just actually knows all about the Eternals. But And it also just helps that, you know, he supports the station, supports the network, as we like to say. You have... All this really cool content coming to you. We just actually posted a exclusive episode of the Watchathon from Rassilon. Um, they're talking about the new season of Doctor Who and they're doing the review of the very first episode, the Halloween apocalypse and, you know, their thoughts on it. So definitely check it out. And you got in a couple of weeks, we got a new episode of ESO board silly, which is another exclusive episode story and podcast to the ESO network. And of course, to the ESO Patreon. And that's open to all stages and all levels of the, you know, listening. So you too can also become a patron for, you know, pennies on the dollars. They like to say in some places, why not join up? Patreon.com slash ESO Network. And you too can become a superhero, as Dr. Scott used to say in that PSA he did for a while. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard that. <laughs> also, big shout out to our friends over at Tofosi Optics. Tofosi Optical has amazing sunglasses that could be styled to 
everyone's taste, different colors, different frames, different looks, different feels. It's pretty darn awesome. And if you're worried about getting blue light fatigue in your, you know, every week from sitting in front of the TV and sitting in front of the computer and sitting in front of your phone, you get blue lights being flashed into your eyes. And they have blue light blocking glasses available too. Not just sunglasses. They also have sports goggles. They have safety glasses and they have safety goggles and face shields. It's just not sunglasses anymore from Tifosi. But you know what? Tifosi loves you guys so much and loves Earth Station One. They gave us a code for Earth Station One. You put it into the coupon code, you get 10% off your whole order. Not just one thing, your whole order. Check it out. Our friends over at TifosiOptics.com. Tell them Earth Station One sent you. And now we're here with new friend of the show, Divinity Rose. Welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Welcome to the station. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with us, tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I do a lot of things and people are often like, what all do you do anyways? And it really all comes down to storytelling. Mm. Uh, I do live performance and uh, I write for screen and uh, for screen stage, live events, educational materials, all kinds of things. And then I also produce live events and TV and video type stuff. So all of it seems like it's kind of all over the place, but it's all creative and it all comes down to storytelling. And when I do live performance, it's usually variety entertainment, anywhere from stand-up comedy to a mix of comedy and uh, music or spoken word. Wow. Yes. Very cool. Um, when when was that seed of storytelling like, um, you know, in you that uh, you needed to develop? Was that at a very early age? I think so. I So I had a really unusual childhood. I went through foster homes as a kid. And I was in like 11 different families over the span of, of my young life. And so when I was in foster homes and I was scared, I had watched a lot of television up to a certain point and I would line stuffed animals up around my bed uh, to talk to. And like, these were the guys from MASH and this one was Optimus Prime and this one was like He-Man. And I signed characters to them and I talked to them. And that's really where I started to use, I think, uh, storytelling and characters to process experiences of what I was going through. But it wasn't until I was adopted when I was nine years old, I started going to a private school. My fifth grade teacher noticed I had a real talent for writing and acting. She would make us write in a notebook. Um, every week we had an assignment and we could do an essay on the theme or we could do poetry or fiction or whatever we wanted to do as long as it was on the theme. And if she liked yours, she'd make, her, make you copy it over into her big book. And I had copy on mine a lot. And so she had pointed out to my teachers that I had this real knack. I was writing like 10 page essay papers in fifth grade. So, uh, and then fiction and poetry and all kinds of things. So fifth grade is really where it was defined, I think, as a talent for as both a, as a performer and a writer, she cast me as a lead in, in school plays and things like that. So, um, that's really where I moved from the early signs of being a real ham and really imaginative into expressing that imagination in written form or on a stage. And from there went into like, just kind of like theatrical things in high school and drama tournaments, debates, stuff like that. And then started getting into indie films and whatever I could in high school with haunted houses. Uh, and then kind of got into, stand up in my early 20s mm, so, wow okay yeah 
Yeah, it's um, I mean, it is a, a couple it, it, it's different skill sets, right, though, be the creative process writing uh, more internal. All right. And then performing is really external. Um, I think a lot of people have the one but not the other. Um, how did you like did you it was it is it just a natural process with you with both? Yeah, it really is. I, well, to be fair, I draw too. I've just always been very creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, and I, and part of me thought, oh, maybe that came from all the time I spent alone, you know, going through foster homes and then a family where I was in my room a lot. And, um, but really when I got to know more about my biological family, my grandmother was an artist. She's very creative, like a florist with jewelry designer, all this. And then her first husband, my grandfather was a computer programmer. So I also have IT experience and, and it's because I have both those, you know, both sides of the brain kind of coming down my family line there. And so my imagination, sometimes it doesn't, um, it has to be spoken sometimes or, you know, kind of like I can be very silly and dramatic flair and theatrical and that's my extrovert. And then also mm-hmm. I've got, so I say I've got like the dark heart of a poet, but the silly, goofy brain of a comic because I can also be very deep and write ridiculous poetry about the depths of our souls. <laughs> so, uh, but then, you know, it, it's just kind of that balance. I'm a Libra. So I think I, I want to explore both sides of that spectrum and, uh, and just do what I can to, to create experiences for others. And And sometimes, you know, it might be expressed best in writing. It might be expressed best by telling a joke out loud. It might be expressed best by drawing a picture. Well, most of what I've seen of your work has been uh, mostly centered around comedy, your YouTube channel, your comedy reel that's there and everything like that. Um, So I naturally thought that, you know, you, you sort of lean more towards comedy, but I guess like most real great comedians, there's that, they sort of sense, they sort of tap into that dark side as well. Huh? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, a lot of comedians, probably the comedy is just a coping mechanism for the darkness, like for Mm -hmm. those, you know, low moments that they have or some experiences that they don't want to process maybe, or if they do, they want to process it through humor. Um, I know for me, I think for a long time, comedy and being silly was a way to uh, constantly to be distracted from things, trauma that I had not dealt with yet from my childhood. And I and and I began to deal with that through um, a little bit more through like my poetry and people would read some of my fiction. And you're going to be like, gosh, you're writing so dark and we're so used to seeing you being so bubbly and everything on stage. <laughs> it's so different. And I was like, well, yeah, because that's where I put that stuff. You know, it's different audience. Um, and so I, one of my struggles as an artist has been to learn to weave the two together to to be able to have humor which is a great relief for dark moments when you have fiction or um, tense situations, whether it's horror or drama, like some comedy will break that up sometimes and let the audience breathe. Mm -hmm. Now, have you, throughout uh, your processes, have you, are there certain individuals that you have uh, found particular inspiration from? Um, That's, that's always a question that kind of makes me freeze because I, I, my, I have ADHD, so my brain will kind of be like, oh, God, overload. I can't think of anything because I'm thinking of too much. So, But I definitely, for humor, um, early on, the Muppets, when I was, like, when I was little, the Muppets were a favorite of mine. And I'm quite sure that they influenced, and I didn't realize it until I was like, wait a minute, 
my showgirl persona kind of and love for like putting on vaudeville type shows and variety type shows. I'm sure that stems from my early love of the Muppets. So that was probably my earliest introduction to humor. Uh, and then of course I was watching sitcoms like, like I'd mentioned mash or I dream a genie, things like that. Right. But then uh, as I got older, I began my lifelong love affair with Steve Martin. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's funny because being a female comic, people were like, oh, who, you know, who are your influences? But I just, I wasn't introduced to that many female comics during that time. Gilda Radner, of course, was great, you know, but um, I wasn't, they weren't, there weren't a lot of mainstream comics that I was introduced to. My adoptive family, once I was adopted, was very sheltering. So it was kind of like what they approved or like. That's what I was introduced to. And Steve Martin, John Candy, you know, those comics, uh, Mel Brooks were uh, what I was introduced to. And then um, I didn't find Monty Python until my early 20s, but thank God I did. Because <laughs> that was <laughs> that was my jam. It was weird and it was funny and I loved it. So, yeah, that was... That was also an inspiration. Those are all on com- on the comedy side. Um, I'd say on the other side of writing in the, in the more um, poetic side, you know, it's really weird, but a, the Bible was a, a huge influence because it was like introduced to me at a young age. And then my several of my families that I went through were very religious. Like I went through a lot of different denominations from Pentecostal <laughs> was the first church I went to in a foster home to um, Episcopalian, to Baptist, to like a non-denominational Christian church. So I think that really played a large part in um, in my writing be- more for the hero's journey that you'll hear about from Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. than really in the, the journey uh, from um, uh, the soul's I don't view Christianity like a lot of Christians, but the soul's journey from, oh, leaving behind its innocence or leaving behind its own self to, like, get persuaded or um, kind of off track by the things of the world and then coming back into knowing itself again. That's the hero's journey, and that's kind of this this journey that you see in all movies or all books or all stories. So I would say that was a big part of my early influence, as was the Pilgrim's Progress that I had to read at a Baptist school. But it's about the hero's journey. It's about that journey of finding, leaving behind a situation to find something better and uh, or become stronger or better. And so that, that was a big influence. But then also things like Edgar Allan Poe. I loved Edgar Allan Poe when I was younger. Mm. Um and then found classic English literature in my twenties and read like Chaucer and a lot of Shakespeare and things like that. So um, those are all big influences on my writing. And then Neil um, Gaiman oh, right. uh, became sure. a, a big influence. And actually, the, you know, when I was younger, Oh, so when I was younger, CS Lewis was a huge thing too and wrinkle in time and that's when i started finding like oh i like this weird stuff the sci-fi stuff for the out of the fantasy stuff you know the out mm-hmm. of everyday escape so those were also uh, big influences for me and there's um in my adult life i haven't done as much reading as a kid i was always up a tree with a book uh and when i was an adult though the one book that really got me was this book by an author a british author named china mieville um I think, it, I think it's called Perdido Street Station or something like that. But man, it's weird. It's it's in the genre they call new weird. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of is because it's kind of a blend of genres, like some horror, some fantasy, some sci-fi, some drama. 
but it, it was, it's a huge book. I think it's, it's just hundreds of pages, but I, I was just glued to it. And it, he goes through so many different weird things that all tie together in the end in a way that you're like, wow, you know, I, I really liked that a lot. So yeah, aspire to blow minds like that. <laughs> Those are the best kind of books, though, you know, especially when you're reading it and it just pops out of your head and go, that was just awesome. Yeah, and there and there's just so much that most people know about that it, I'm awful at answering that question because, um, be, because of the the foster homes, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I, I missed out on consuming culture like normal people. Then I was had a very strict conservative Christian family, like where I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons when I was 15. Like mm. so, wow. I, I missed out on a lot there. And then when I got to high school, I realized, oh wait, there's a library at the school, and nobody knows what I check out. Oh, hello, Stephen King. <laughs> so he, I guess, like, <laughs> inspiration too because. It was where I started to break out of that. I'll do exactly whatever my parents want all the time. Um, but th- I missed out on learning to consume culture like most people. Like I did not learn to just go out and, and I'm horrible at band names sometimes or remembering facts about things. And there's time. Like I just watched Hellraiser for the first time. The other day. And um, did you how like many it? years ago was that? <laughs> yeah, huh. I did. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so um so yeah, there's there's a lot there that I'm sure I would have been really drawn to when I was younger had I not been kind of sheltered from it. And so now I'm playing catch up. So I'm going back and and I've decided to learn about a lot of the stuff that I missed out along the way. That's very cool. That's very cool. And and yes, I mean I, I sort of not really expected, but I, I thought, you know, um, you know, there's a tradition certainly of comedic redheads in 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 our in Americana, right? Starting with yeah. Lucille Ball and um, uh, Carol Burnett. So. Well, we're feisty. <laughs> I was going to say, like, there is I mean, that we're sort just, of we're feisty, and, and I and I open my comedy acts, and I and I'm like, I always come out, and I'm like, hey, I'm Divinity Rose. Uh, you know, I'm a Kentucky native wild ginger. Hope you like redheads, and somebody's always like, whoa, without fail. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. yeah, we got a reputation. <laughs> like, you know, uh, Cert- yeah. Certainly do. Yeah, we are. But, you know, but- actually, the, my writing, the dark, weird side and the humor, I actually have to go back and say Jim Henson is responsible for both. Because as a young child, I was also in love with Dark Crystal and then later Labyrinth when I when I discovered that. So gotcha. so both his humorous projects and his uh, darker projects, I, I was in love with as a kid. Absolutely. Well, that's and- awesome. And I, I can only imagine, like, I mean, certainly since since Sesame Street has been on for, what, over 50 years now, it's hard to find somebody who's influenced, uh, you know, who hasn't been influenced by the Muppets, you know, or, or the, right. some kind of some kind of that kind of style of comedy, I think. Um, although I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know what it's like now because um, uh, I haven't watched it in a while. But uh, I would imagine the same sort of uh, funny shenanigans go on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love that shenanigans. You know, it's pretty. Well, you know, the uh, Haunted Mansion, Muppets oh, Haunted Mansion just dropped on Disney Plus. So good. Is so it? You good. like it? Yeah. I, I loved it. We I both did. It. it was amazing. As yeah, a fan, both it. of the Muppets and the uh, Haunted Mansion itself, there was a lot of deep cuts, Easter egg kind of stuff. And it was just, it was yes. so good. I, th- I think it was when one I, of the when, best Muppets thing I've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, the Haunted Mansion was like my favorite. Uh, before mm-hmm. before trauma struck my family, I had been to Disney World. My grandmother lived in Fort Lauderdale and um, and the, the, I just wanted to go to the Haunted Mansion over and over. 
Like <laughs> that was my favorite place. And Ghostbusters was my favorite film. So I always kind of had that dark, you know, ghosty side to me as well. So. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, apart from uh, the material that you have on YouTube and it's a lot of material, it's really cool. Um, uh, there's there, is there any other projects or things that you want to point out to our listeners to, to check out of your work? Sure. Uh, so right now I have, well, if you want something funny to watch, there's a proof of concept that I wrote and directed and produced. I also, you know, I do directing and producing too. And this was kind mm-hmm. of a low bu- budget proof of concept. Maybe we'll, we can pitch it around somewhere, but I went ahead and put it on prime to see, you know, how it went. Um, and so on Amazon prime, there's dating horror stories uh, as reenacted by classic movie monsters. It was so awesome. It's, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for watching it. It was, so it's true bad dates that people told me. Uh, about that were awful and because i was like i've had bad dates i know most of the people have had bad dates and those who haven't like watching the train wreck of dating and so i was like but it's like it's their horror stories and, and i bet you could find a monster to match just about any situation so we in a in like two weeks we threw together this little seven episodes that are all like less than five minutes most of them are a couple minutes long and uh, and it was so much fun to make. It, it, it's like horrible makeup <laughs> like effects and like or low budget looking makeup effects. Uh, but it's like Nosferatu on a date and mm-hmm. uh, Bride of Frankenstein complaining that her date showed up with facial hair when she was really attracted to smooth skin and he looked nothing like his photo. But it's because it's a full moon and it's Wolfman, you know. So it's it's a lot of fun it's fun we did we've done some live events with it where comedians get up and tell jokes and we show those in between each set and um had a lot of fun with it so that that's if you're going on the funny side that's that's uh something you can check out it's mm-hmm. also on my website divinityrose.com um but at the same time i'm working on a very serious project right now about women with post-traumatic stress disorder um it's an augmented reality art installation um, about 10 different women and what it's like for them to be triggered with their PTSD because I have post-traumatic stress disorder from my childhood that I went through a lot of work to to overcome or to heal from. And I think it's a huge problem in our world that most people just don't know they have trauma response and we all do to some degree. And so a lot of problems in the world are caused by people being unaware to their trauma response. So working on that. And so there's also a link to that on my website. We're fundraising for it right now. I got a grant for that to get started and then we're fundraising for the actual production and then we'll move into an exhibit, a live exhibit and a mini documentary that we'll submit to festivals. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's really amazing. Um, Mike, now that we found out what she's been doing and what she's up to, um, I think it's time to find out where her true passions lie. So I think it's time for the geek seat. I don't know. You know, she's very happy and joyous right now, but (laughs) You know, don't bring me down. <laughs> I'm not going to try to bring you down. These all depend on your answers. You know, you could be happy, you could be joyous, or man, I could be a total bummer. You never know what can happen with the geek seat. <laughs> We've had people laughing. We've had don't people you make crying. me cry, Mike and Mike? Don't you do it? <laughs> oh, please! You know, I went on their podcast, and those mean old mics—they beat me up and made me cry. Wow. <laughs> they put you in the—they strapped you up and put you in the geek seat, dear. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily sound tear. <laughs> yeah. Excited. You know, some people like that. So you know, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, that that was one of the people who were giggling and laughing. You know, when some we of started- your some of your listeners just leaned in like, hmm? what? <laughs> what's this? <laughs> well, this just show just got a little more interesting than we usually expect. <laughs> All right, Divinity, what was your favorite geek out moment? Oh, my favorite geek out moment. So, as a kid, I'd say my favorite geek out moment was Ghostbusters, like all of it, <laughs> like the whole thing. It's still, still. Oh, yeah. Uh, I loved Slimer. I loved the ghosts. I had a recurring dream all the time about ghosts when I was a kid, like kind of coming out of a movie projector and floating around in the ceiling or uh, the, the sky above the classroom. But yeah, I would say that was one of my biggest geek out moments. I just thought it was awesome. I loved the ghost. I loved the fantasy of it. I love the humor of it. I was like, Bill Murray's so cool, effing cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. A big geek out moment recently, though, for me was uh, when The Dark Crystal got picked up by Netflix. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was so that is excited pretty to awesome. see that, that world and that type of artistry come back to life. So. Oh, and the puppetry in that is just amazing. That gets yeah. into the whole thing you were talking about earlier with Jim Henson. So that's pretty awesome. What was your most disappointing geek out moment though? When that got canceled. <laughs> 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 when that got canceled after one season. Yeah, that was uh that was pretty disappointing. Another one was uh I was like I guess it was more not necessarily disappointment as much as a confusion when uh they were talking about making Damon's Sandman into a series or a movie. And they had announced thinking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Dream. And I was just so disappointed by that. I was like, what? And I love Levitt. He's a t- very talented, great actor. I just could not see him as this dark Lord of Dream that uh, could carry the, the character, that kind of character. No, totally understand that. And I kind of agree with you on that. And have you seen the trailers yet for the new one? Yes. It, I'm so excited. It feels like you're, <laughs> it, feel, it literally feels like the comic scene by scene. It's just, it's just yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm so excited. What geeks you out the most? Uh, well, you know, I've talked a little bit about like my love affair with, with paranormal stuff or stuff from the eighties. Um, but honestly, I think that hero's journey I mentioned from Joseph Campbell um, which is kind of what all stories follow now, movies and everything is just kind of this journey from a familiar place into the unknown and, and finding some sort of power and then coming back to your familiar place, but better or different. And that stems probably from, I really geek out about philosophy and mythology. Like I love fairies and I love deities and I love delving into all of those things. And because I had been so sheltered and, um, uh, so strictly <laughs> taught the Bible uh, in my 20s, I started to kind of like deprogram from that and question what I really believed versus what I had been fed and and just went on this journey of learning about other stories and other mythologies and other spiritualities. And I was un- digging into myself and, and learning about or going through a journey of self-discovery and, um, you know, and like Jordan and, and jo- excuse me, not Jordan, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey uh you know the the end is like when you come back to that familiar place but you've brought something back with you from from your journey 
And then the Buddha says, you know, enlightenment is when you come back to where a tree is just a tree again. <laughs> uh, so it's like you go through all this journey of, of looking at the world around you differently and questioning what everything means or, or is there more to it than just this dimension that we're, we're become aware of unless we look for more. And um, then you come back to a place where you're like, Oh, it's just a tree. But at the same time, you just have this, this deeper level of amazement because you're like, wow, that tree is from made from all these cells. And like, you just think about all of the processes that are happening all the time so that you and I can have this conversation on a podcast, you know, and that, that kind of stuff will geek me out and I'll talk about it all night. If you me. No, that's <laughs> totally makes sense to me. <laughs> does it? Yeah, Good. it does. Cause Let's talk about it, Mike. <laughs> oh, we will. Don't worry. <laughs> Let's get started. <laughs> what turns your geek Three off? Three days later. Yeah. Exactly. The podcast listeners are going, really? That's enough. <laughs> it's enough. What turns your geek off? What turns my geek off? Uh, people evangelizing to me. So, I'm I don't care if it's about the Bible or if it's about Star Wars or anything. <laughs> like, I just don't like when people come at me trying to convince me I'm wrong about something because my opinion or my experience doesn't line up with theirs. Mm-hmm. It's like, like I heard on one of your other podcasts that you, somebody was like talking about Star Wars versus Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And like, that is no, I mean, my big love was Stargate anyways. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's no argument here. <laughs> Throw myself into that wrestling ring there. <laughs> but no, yeah. So any anybody trying to like over talk my own thoughts. Oh, no. of course. You know, and I'll, you know, be the secret person coming in with the steel chair saying, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. Let's exactly. get ready to nerd rumble. <laughs> I'll have the, the wrestling mask on. Who is that under that, that mask? <laughs> Huge breathing mass of geeks. <laughs> exactly. Then we'll hear from the anime folks and then we'll hear from the. Yeah. I think the an- I think the anime people just like crush down on us anyway. <laughs> yeah. What fictional yeah. character would you like to meet the most? Uh, this is a tough question because my ADHD brain goes crazy. But I think um, I'd say Dream from the Sandman mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. I actually became aware of that series because I was working on a story about a female character. Um. Who's who? It's different, but she's very fluid and floats through things, stories. Yeah. Uh, and, and somebody's like, "Oh, you should check this out." And because I'd been so sheltered, I had not been aware of it. So when I found it, I was like, "This, this is awesome!" You know, uh, this, this is the best thing I've ever read. Uh, this is what I'm feeling for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I like. What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Dude, where's my car? Oh wow! (laughs) Guys, that you get just a kind of just really dumb frat, you know? Wow! Yeah, Yeah, just somebody that's gonna like make my brain hurt. Okay. Okay. I know there's that. I know that's that my brain went there, but like I know there's far worse. Like the higher senses, the higher senses (laughs) of entertainment by Divinity Rose. Is that something (laughs) bad that I'm like, oh yeah, I'd totally rather meet the people from Hellraiser than? You know what? She's not wrong. No, she isn't. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not. We're not judging you at all. We. This is a no judgment zone. So, you know, 
if we if we do that after the show, you know, we just laugh and <laughs> judge away, judge away. <laughs> so it's okay. What is your ideal geek occupation? Ideal geek occupation. Sure. Uh, can you explain what that means? Like just working with geekery, or, or no? Because everyone, like we always say on the show, whatever you're passionate about. You know, because, you know, a geek geek equals passion. You could be passionate about comedy. You could be passionate about Star Wars. You could be passionate about artwork. You could be passionate about your car. You could be passionate. For me, it's a blend. Like, it's a blend of my comedy and the spirituality and the the, um, encouraging others to really find themselves and, like, let go of the things that have been handed to them by other people. Like Mm -hmm. beliefs, thoughts, and about themselves and what they can accomplish. So that's, I mean, really, that's, I'd say that's what I strive for, anyways, with my art is to create entertainment that can be really silly and entertaining, um, but also make you think. That's cool. Any kind of opportunity, whether it's because I, you know, in my writing, I I do screenwriting, I do episodic writing. I, um, uh, Though that kind of gives you me the opportunity to blend more, but even in my live shows, I will usually do things that will also make you think. But uh, but you had fun, right? <laughs> and so that's what I strive for. And that, that to be able to do that full time for the rest of my life, I like seeing people go aha, but also laugh. And yeah. Nope, that's awesome. That is really really awesome. What geek occupation would you not like to do, though? Um. Anything where I'd have to tell geeks they're wrong about some fact. (laughs) They all know their facts. So I don't. I'm a geek. Like, I love that. I love that. Ooh, I don't love that. But I'm not the geek that's like, well, in 1942, this character, blah, blah, blah. I don't know facts. My ADHD doesn't hold on to them like that. And um, it chooses randomly to hold on to things. So oh yeah, I would hate to be in a position where I have to debate facts with other geeks. Or, you know, so basically a comic store owner. No, just kidding. Yeah, wow. In that situation, or I was a member of a hackerspace, which is like a makerspace and workshop where everybody can use the equipment. And uh, there's a lot of engineers in there. But there's a comic book store or there, or even magic shops, anywhere where there's people who are passionate about things. They have these extensive debates. And in high school, I used to um, hang out with guys who were playing magic the gathering or you know dungeons and dragons and they debate about stuff and and i just call it nerd battles like i just uh we i've been there a lot of times i just don't want to be in the line of fire (laughs) so uh, no that's awesome that is like you said a comic store opener that had or owner that had to tell them like they didn't have some item (laughs) that they've been dying to get and like it's released (laughs) and it didn't show up or something yeah well, you have this comic listed as the first episode of Thanos, but Thanos actually appeared two episodes earlier. Don't do it. <laughs> My brain is bleeding already. <laughs> Trust me, I used to own a comic store, so I do know I used to be. That's yeah. what I'm in. That's what, yeah. I've known enough comic shop owners. I know that uh, you know sometimes the customers can be pretty geeky. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, and you did, last week you had this listed as this, but now you have it listed as that. Uh, <laughs> and different kind of geekery, but I, I dated an engineer, and uh, 
uh, I always say in my comedy, I say, you know, I'll give you a little dating tip, ladies. If an engineer asks you if you want to play with his erector set, don't get your hopes up. Like, he means it. Oh, yes, he does. (laughs) Because they will geek out about erector sets and Legos and all sorts of things. Look, you take the little little wrench and you screw in the... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we we made every model of the manual. And then his mom came and asked me if I wanted breakfast and when I could come play again. (laughs) It's so nice for for Clifford to have a new friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny because I have been in this situation a lot. Uh, I grew up. Uh, can y'all hear the train in the background? Sorry about that. Uh, my windows are open and there's a train. Um, so when even as a kid, like my favorite toys were my Star Wars action figures and my Hot Wheels. And um, then getting older, my favorite place in summer camp was like a shooting range. And then I started finding out about Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering. And then like, so I'd always kind of been in these situations where I was one of the few girls in the group. And uh, so I definitely have been witness to that kind of geekery or those debates or those levels of like having to be right (laughs) that comes with a lot of neurodivergent brains even, uh, which of course I'm on the neurodivergent spectrum a bit. So I definitely feel what you're saying when you're talking about people geeking out over. And that's why I say I would not want to (laughs) be in the line of fire of that because I've been around it a lot and I get it. I just kind of try to be like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> bounce around socially butterfly to another spot for a minute. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. All right, Divinity, are you ready for your final question in the Geek Scene? Final question! Final questions! Here we go. I'll have to wait and see. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Ultimate geek fantasy. Oh my gosh. Well, I already got to portray Jessica Rabbit once, and that was a big one. I got to perform her song on a stage at a burlesque show in front of, like, several hundred people and blow glitter on some guy and go out into the audience and sing the song. um, So that was was fulfilled. Fantasy fulfilled. (laughs) There you go. I mean, because I fell in love with Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit when I was eight years old. That's when I saw it. It was like comedy and sex appeal. What's this? Hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, so that was also an influence, I guess, going back to that. So that one's fulfilled. Now, let me see. Hmm. Let me see. Yeah, probably, probably uh, going back to the dream character, Morpheus. Like, really? Yeah. That's yeah. cool, though. That is very cool. Getting lost in, in the, not, not only in the arms of your lover, but like eons of dreams, like and floating, shifting scenarios around you. And yeah, that's awesome. I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, Mike, I think she did it. I really think she did it. Yay! Divinity Rose, I got some great news for you. You've made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. Huzzah, huzzah. Tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $28.04. So, uh, I would listen. But, but, it's, it's, but it's only worth it. Every on, cast here on the you third. make. I'll be listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Yes. Um, all of our shows on the ESO network are yours for that low, low price. Um, uh, but we've loved to have you on this show and uh, it's been great. Uh, where can people find you online to find out what you're up to? 
it is divinityrose.com. So, That's easy and enough. I, and it, it's will, a brand new website, too. I did just redesign it. I did. Yep. Awesome. So, and uh, we'll have links to it in our show notes so that people can go right there and check you out. And uh, certainly, you know, as you got projects going on, come back. We'd love to have you back on the show. Thank you. Now, I have a question for you guys before Uh-oh. I go. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Is that part of the deal? You, what, what, you said what, what, I was... What? What? <laughs> You're turning the hot seat. You're turning the hot seat. <laughs> so you guys have been on in the thirteen years, right? In or longer years, now? Sure. Twelve years. Almost. It was almost thirteen years. years. It was almost thirteen years, and you hope to make it to a thousand podcasts. And you said by then you'll probably be old men holograms, right? Yes. What <laughs> I want to know is, will we be able to customize your holograms? Like our virtual Barbie dolls. So we'll be able to pick your hair, your clothes. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> someone's going to put me in a Jessica Rabbit dress. I know. Yes, yes. that's what I'm saying. I'm that's, so glad you get me. That's exactly. I can see that coming. They're uh, new friends just like that, folks. You know what? It's awesome. You know what? If, that's, if, that's, if someone wants to see that, why should now I? Now we that? know my geek fantasy. <laughs> there you to go. To put Mike Gordon in a Jessica Rabbit no, no, dress. No, no, no. no, no, no. That's. Uh, that's uh, yeah, uh, that's sad. That's really what's that's what that is. I I but, like it. I could see it. <laughs> that will that will be the that'll be the cover for this well, episode. In some ways, <laughs> that technology already exists because right now people are listening to us and they're picturing whatever they want to as far as what we look like and what we're wearing. So, so it's on them. And to, thanks uh, to us, now they're exactly. picturing you in a Jessica Rabbit dress. So. Absolutely, and uh, you're I'm, welcome. And I'm I, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whatever uh, you, you feel can, about it, you can you can blame her. Uh, so, uh, uh, awesome. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yes, and, thank you, um, guys. like I said, we'll have the links in our show notes so people can check out what you do. Yes. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Let's take a quick break and we will be back in a moment and we're going to be talking all about the Eternals. everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Bruce Springsteen is in talks right now with Sony Music to sell his recorded and publishing catalog rights. Next year, he will mark his 50th anniversary with the Sony CBS family of labels. Uh, reports say that the album deal is pretty much done, but the publishing rights are still on the table. Combined, these two catalogs are estimated to be worth between 330 and $415 million. Uh, in other news, Bagdasarian Productions, Ross Bagdasarian Jr. is owner of the Alvin and the Chipmunks franchise, and they are looking to sell as well, and they are looking for a price of about $300 million. Ross Bagdasarian Sr., uh, stage name was David Seville. He was the guy yelling, Alvin! Um, and what we're seeing... Um, with these big sales is uh, estate planning on a public stage. These classic era artists are getting older and uh, the sales are becoming really attractive because they pull in these huge numbers and a song catalog is really profitable, but it takes a lot of hands-on management and their families are, may not be able or willing to handle that. 
um, what it means is that huge chunks of popular culture are in the hands of mega corporations. Is that good? Is that bad? Is it any different from what we have now? Well, you can talk about that. Uh, and what this makes me curious about, the artist I'm really curious to see what she does is Dolly Parton. From the very beginning of her career, she has been very savvy and uh, very smart about hanging on to what was hers, and she retained her publishing rights. Back in the day, she turned down Elvis Presley covering I Will Always Love You, even though it would have been lots of royalties up front, because Colonel Tom Parker had a policy of insisting that if Elvis covered your song, you gave them half the publishing rights, and she said no. She doesn't have kids as part of her estate, so I'm kind of watching to see what uh, what Dolly will do. We'll see how that plays out. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, and we'll catch you next time. If you were a monster kid growing up, if you enjoyed Saturday mornings watching monster movie matinee or staying up all night watching the midnight feature, then Monster Attack is the podcast for you. We not only look at classic old monster movies, we share our experience growing up as a monster kid. Join us every Monday for Monster Attack. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago. To protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something... protected you can't protect any of them
I bet you've built the perfect safe house. Well, what's this even made of? Vibranium? Fall Collection. Ikea. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is time to dive into the world of Jack Kirby's Eternals. Be very interesting. They should have done that as the title, actually, for the film. I thought that would have been a great homage. Well, uh, maybe, but then, you know, it's really Kevin Feige's Eternals. So, well, um, so it's not really, Dude, you know. it's, it's Kevin Feige's world. We, he just lets us live in it, basically. Yeah, really. It's a, it should be the, the Feige cinematic universe at this point, I think. Um, but, yes, we got the next movie in the MCU proper. And, uh, yeah, this one is really di- di- uh, diversive online. So we'll see how our movie crew and folks uh, have to say about it. Um, we've got our movie crew here, starting with Ashley. Ashley is back. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. I think maybe this is the third week in a row. Third week in a row? Third week? Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. And then you take a week off next week, and then we'll be back the week after that. So, yeah, you're, uh, you're a recurring so, character now. Uh, but that, but that does oh, not man, increase your darn. It's worth a try. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, we also have Alex back with us. Howdy. Howdy, sir. How goes things? Oh, they goes well. Um, yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, some of us didn't have to be here last week because we, uh, we were out busy uh, uh, fanboying, so... <laughs> that's all right that's all right and uh we also have with us guest kevin cavity kevin welcome back to eso thanks so much i'm really excited to uh electrocute us all in the brain about the eternals <laughs> uh yes well we're gonna get all into that but as we like to start off all our Review segments with Alex. Anyway, I had to handle the box office responsibilities last week, so um, it, it so, hurt yeah. his head. It really hurt his head. Yeah, for a twenty-year-old movie, so I had to actually do some research. You know, Google things. Yeah, you had to uh, dig but, deep uh, when you're picking out the old films. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, Eternals, um, not doing that well. I, I see. Well, okay, so uh, it, it made seventy-one million dollars domestically. Um, which, if you put it in context, made more money than Dune in its opening weekend. Uh, but that said, was five million or four million behind uh, Shang Chi, and five million behind, uh, uh, and that was five million behind uh, Black Widow. So Black Widow pulled out eighty million, and this one pulled in seventy-one. Yeah, this is the lowest pandemic opening for the MCU. Yeah, um, and by far, and uh, you know, Dune does have the advantage of well, or the excuse of saying, well, people could watch it on HBO Max, whereas but that's not Black the case Widow. Here. You could also see on uh, HBO. True, on, on, uh, true. Disney but I mean, Plus. as far as comparing it to the Eternals, uh, like Eternals doesn't have that excuse. It's just going. To, it's it's now probably the is it? I think it's the lowest opening for an MCU movie since uh, the Hulk. Uh, wow. it might be. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't hundred percent sure. Cause I wasn't sure what, uh, what winter soldier did. Mm. Um, because some of the early captain Americas, uh, did not break the a hundred million mark, mm-hmm. uh, or anything like that when they first opened. So correct me so, if I'm wrong here, but it might be Ant-Man. It might be the lowest opening since the original Ant-Man. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, regardless, it's on the lower side. Right. Um, which, which kind of makes sense, though, because these are very not-known characters. 
It's not like it's an Iron Man. It's a Captain America or a Thor. And even, you know, something that came along later, Doctor Strange um, and such. It's these are the Eternals is very lesser known characters. That's why I'm I'm thinking that didn't hit as high in the box office. And it's possible. Um, But. Also, I mean, to to counter that, though, I mean, it's got a heck of a cast um, and it is an MCU movie. So at this point, you know, are people really just saying, well, I can miss this MCU movie or not? I don't know. I don't know how, uh, you know, I think certainly as we're going forward, especially with the TV series or the Disney Plus series, I should say, and now movies, especially coming out so, uh, you know, so often from the MCU uh, because they're trying to play catch up. Um, I think, uh, you know, that I don't want to, I'm not saying it's all doom and gloom and this is not the sign of like, you know, problems with the MCU. Although there are those out there that are questioning whether, uh, Faggy's new phase is, is kind of, uh, limited, uh, already comparing it to what's going on with the W with, uh, Warner brothers, which I think is kind of mean, but, uh, there's some other, uh, issues there too. And we'll get into the actual movie itself. Um, but I also wanted to point out, cause Mike, I know you experienced this and this was a weird issue too, is that there was a big issue apparently on social media, particularly with like Facebook n- preventing users from posting about people talking about this movie. Yeah. There was some kind of weird thing. I reported three times that, you know, I was at the movies seeing this film and I'm not the only one this happened to. And Facebook actually came back today saying I was spamming people by reporting that I was at the movies, you know, seeing Eternals. So there's something weird going on. And I'm not a conspiracy theory person at all. And it's it was just crazy because I like I asked after I posted because Judy and I were sitting in the theater and watch, you know, after the end credits waiting, you know, to get up. And I was posting that we were at the at the screening, and you know, I said, "Hey, check out, you know, if I tagged because I tagged her in it, it didn't show at all." Oh. And, and, and furthermore, I know that Jerry Chandler, our good friend, the Jerry Chandler, shared your post that you checked in and said a few words that were non spoilerish, um, and then Facebook zapped him for spam violation as well. Um, very, very weird. Um, and, uh, this happened with, like I said, uh, a lot of different people. So I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's just weird. A friend so, of mine actually earlier today was, was given a Facebook warning, uh, for posting that she was watching. It's a wonderful life. So I think something might be going on with movies, hmm. uh, and tagging. And I had problems, uh, actually tagging, a couple of friends of mine uh, on a post for thanking them for letting me stand with them during the Braves parade. So I don't know. I mean, the whole thing's meta to me anyway. So um, I've been downhill since the super poke gang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah good point. Good point, Kev. I just right. like to go work on my farm. And, you know. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the movie. Ashley, I uh, read your review um, and I'm curious to, to hear your comments as well as we review this, but Going in, what did you expect? And coming out, what what were your thoughts overall? 
Yeah. So the interesting thing about Eternals is that going in, this was actually my most anticipated film from phase four. I'm not sure exactly what it was about the announcement a couple of years back, but it just really intrigued me. The idea of these immortal people that are kind of shaping history um, throughout um, Earth's history. And then just like an amazing, really expansive cast in that the idea that after we've wrapped up the storyline with a lot of our favorite Avengers and Infinity War and Endgame, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is really going to expand and get into the cosmic corners, multiverses. I'm all about that. But you had no personal, real personal I did not. With the so it was right? going in completely new, and I was really excited to meet these characters. I think where I ultimately land on the film is that there's a lot of amazing stuff in here. There's some really ambitious, big ideas, and I love that Marvel is starting to experiment more, take more creative risks, let directors try things. I don't think that it necessarily fully works at all the parts. I think there are things that definitely could have been done better. I feel like there was a lot of characters and not the, all the characters necessarily got the depth. I think we needed from them to really care and buy into their stories, but the movie is gorgeous. Like cinematography wise, this might be one of the most beautiful films in the MCU. So I can see why it's definitely provoking divided responses online. It's definitely a movie that's worthy of discussion and digging into deeper and going to see it, even though the film didn't quite live up to the hopes I had for it. I'm still glad I went to see it and supported it with my money because I want Marvel to continue to take chances like this and to continue to expand the universe. It was great to see them actually take chances with this movie and also Shang-Chi. Yeah. And and it was the last two films were non-common heroes and also non-Caucasian heroes as the main features, which was wonderful to see. And also I loved in this, Cersei was the main, you know, the main one they focused on a lot of and she was Asian and I loved it. And I think that's what pissed a lot of people off about this movie is that, you know, it wasn't a white man superhero that it wasn't, you know, you know, Icarus or, you know, all these other characters that they had, you know, you know, cause in the comic books and Kevin, you could back me up on this. They were all Caucasians in, in the characters. And they even Ajax was a male in the comics. And they made her a Hispanic woman, which was pretty awesome. Ari, too, was a male in the comics. Yep, exactly. So it and was Sprite. Exa- well, that's true. Sprite was a villain in the comics. So it was pretty awesome to see. Well, she kind of was here, but that's. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Alex, what about you? What uh, what were your thoughts going in and out? Okay, so going into the movie, I had no thoughts. Um, I I I really didn't. <laughs> just like um, just Marvel movie, I need to go and just that's all you need to know, right? So a couple of weeks back, we we did the review of Dune, and I said I watched the movie Dune because we were going to do a review on it. Uh huh. I went into Re- Eternals because we were doing a review on it. And, um, I mean, I don't know if I'm losing my movie guy status or whatever, but it's just been really a case where the stuff that's been coming out has not interested me. And Hmm. I kind of went into this movie. I, you know, I, I didn't know the comic books. I knew of a couple of characters 
Um, I kind of knew the backstory. Um, and I just kind of went in and, and there's a moment right at the beginning. I won't lie. I got real comfortable in the chair. I closed my eyes for a few minutes. Um, I came out of this movie going, holy crap. I loved this movie. Uh, I absolutely adored this movie. Once everything, I mean, it's a slow burn. It's oh, a slow burn. So. This is not, this is not a funnel cake film. This is a slow burn movie and it takes a moment to get amped up. And when it does, You've got fully fleshed out characters, fully developed characters, backstories that are easy enough to follow. And again, they're having to introduce a whole new batch of heroes into this and give you a twist that you're not exactly prepared for and give you quality in it. And I honestly, I looked at it and it's the same thing with Drew Barrymore in Scream. I saw Angelina Jolie in the cast and went, she's the main character. Nope. And she's not. So, I mean, this movie subverted a lot of expectations for me, which is to say I had no expectations, and it really blew me away. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin, what about you? Well, I, I went in as a fan of the comic with caveats. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Jack Kirby. I feel like in the 60s Marvel heyday, what worked about the Jack Kirby comics was – Stanley kind of brought the quippy dialogue and some of the characterization and Kirby would wed it to this like grand cosmic vision. And I felt like the interplay between those two extremes made something really special. Like I think the fantastic four is along with love and rockets, like the greatest American comic book ever made by Stan and Jack. Um, and then I think in the seventies when Kirby was solo, it really focused on grand cosmic vision and like no one did that better. So the Eternals to me is still a worthwhile read, but it's not something I would give to someone if I wanted to convert them to like the cult of Kirby. Uh, it's it's a deep cut. No, and I went no, into, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so I went into this movie, like having an affection for the comic, but not knowing what they were going to do. And I felt like the crazy bonkers cosmic stuff was there, but I loved how Chloe Zhao like, gave all of these characters motivations and personalities and interactions. I thought it looked beautiful. The location shooting was fantastic. I thought that seeing the characters have like different motivations and how they bounced off each other and how each character had a specific relationship with each other piled onto all of this, like crazy pants, celestials and big spaceships and deviants. I, I thought this was a very weird movie, but I also really loved it for that. I could see why it's not for everyone, but I was fully on board. Good. Mike. Like Kevin, I had read the comics growing up and it's not Kirby at its best. It isn't. I think we joked about it before we went on the air and we said, I think this was leftover stuff that Kirby had from when he was doing new gods at times. But it was interesting because he ties a lot of the story with what they based it off of, of a lot of legend from the Bible and from, you know, human history about, you know, that, you know, t tales that were based off of now these characters and it was just really interesting going in. And when they announced this movie, I was torn because it was like, oh, no, is this going to be another Inhumans? 
God, I hope not. And then, you know, when I started seeing the casting and hearing about the plot a little bit, I went in and said, okay, I'm going to go in with this with an open mind. This is a chance of something pretty amazing. And we had an amazing director coming into this. And I was, I was really hopeful. Like, you know, for the first 15 minutes, I was just like watching it. And it was the first actually Marvel movie that had an intro scroll, which was just, which was really interesting. But then they got into the plot and the story. They started introducing the characters and I just had a grin on my face, like an idiot throughout the, from that point on. And I was like a little kid again going, Ooh, uh, the Omni mine. Oh my God. They're doing that, you know, and the deviants and the, and I loved how they all didn't get to get along. And, if anyone doesn't bring up the Bollywood scenes and, you know, the characters, it's just – it's there's just so much to love about this movie. I think these are the most human characters I've probably seen in a Marvel movie. And That's I, ironic. Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was pretty decent. And, you know, I, I loved it. And I just – I was happy walking out of there. And – you know, I'm already probably maybe going to go see it again next weekend. So awesome. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I've dipped my toe into, uh, Kirby's Marvel stuff, particularly the Eternals. Um, but not really with anything that I came away with that connected with me. Um, I was really excited about what is about a decade ago now or so where, um, Neil Gaiman, and John Romita Jr. did a miniseries that a was lot really of good. a lot of that was in this movie. You yes, know, the the yeah, I recognized a lot of that stuff, but I didn't know how much of it had come before. You know that uh, that uh, that Jack did, or there were other folks too that. Uh, I would say so. Neil Gaiman's Eternals um, is in Neil Ga- Gaiman's oeuvre to the extent <laughs> that Jack Kirby's Eternals is in the Jack Kirby oeuvre. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I didn't have anything invested. I didn't, I mean, in some ways I didn't know these characters just like, you know, Ashley and Alex didn't really know these characters cause they were pretty much all really almost new to me. Um, but I was fascinated. I, I think around the same time that was announced that, uh, Chloe Zhao was going to do this. I think it was around the same time that, uh, Ava DuVernay was going to be announced as directing the new gods movie. And I was like, wow you've got two really amazing creative people uh, that you wouldn't expect to direct these Kirby cosmic stories. Uh, I wish the DuVernay uh, project, uh, the new gods project had happened because I'd love to see what her take on that was going to be. Um, I think maybe someday we might get a, you know, behind the scenes, I don't know, documentary or something about like, you know, a article about it or something. Cause I would be really interested to see, cause I know they went pretty uh, deep into pre-production on it. Um, but this came out and, and, uh, like most of you guys, um, I was kind of thinking this is an odd thing to pick as a, as a movie for them. Uh, just like, I think, I think it was supposed to originally be the, um, uh, I was going to say the immortals, but it's not the immortals. What are the inhumans, right? Inhumans. Cause they were, they were supposed to be a movie before they were a show and then that didn't work really well. And I was like, man, man, this concept is, 
is even more out there than that. So I'm like, if that didn't work, I don't know what they're going to do. But um, but like you, Ashley, I really, you know, I think Kevin, this is Kevin Feige saying, you know what? I could just rest on my laurels and I could do like Iron Man four, or I could do like another captain. I could bring another like hero like that in, but you know what? I'm going to do some stuff that we haven't really done before. That's never been done before and, and see how it goes. And I do give him a lot of credit for that. Um, but like you pointed out, Ashley, as well, I think um, even though it's, this movie is really long, almost as long as June, I think um, it still doesn't feel like it's enough. Like, this should have been maybe a Disney Plus series. Uh, I think it might have worked a little bit better for me if it had been uh, because I thought it was uh, like I thought there was a lot going on too much really for just a, a a condensed package like this in two and a half hours. But it looked beautiful. The acting was great. The characters, what I saw was amazing. Although I will say that I did have a difficult time connecting personally with it. Um, like I think if they make another one, uh, which they, you know, the says the the Eternals will return, but I think everybody who's watching uh, watches a uh, Marvel goes, oh yeah, everybody's going to return because that's what Marvel does. Um, I, I I'm going to so see it, but I'm not like jonesing for. I'm not going to eat up everything Eternals. I don't really have that much invested in the property at this point. Um, but uh, what I saw, I liked. So. Um, Ashley, we'll go back to you. What is something about the movie in particular, character-wise, moments, or something that you really that stood out for you as being amazing in this movie? I really liked the portrayal of the Celestials. I thought it was super interesting and cool to see things we've only seen hints of in the previous Marvel movies. I thought they did a great job really capturing the scale, and it was really scary when the Celestial appears in the sky um, at the very end of the movie, and you realize, oh my gosh, this being is literally bigger than our planet and could probably just like squish it in between his hands. Like they did a really great job really selling the scale and the power and the grandeur of the Celestials. So I am definitely interested in seeing them again. Well, if you remember in the first Guardians of the Galaxy yes. movie. Yes, I was just about to say, yeah. yeah this is not that, the first time we've, this we, is not the first Celestial we've seen in the MCU, and it's not the first Eternal we've seen in the MCU. Exactly. And so it's pretty awesome because, you know, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but, you know, that whole city that, you know, the nowhere. collector, nowhere, nowhere where the collectors was, that was basically a head of yeah. one of the Celestials. Which yeah. means they can die, which is something that this movie doesn't really, you know, it seems like it creates quite some sort of effort to kill one of them. And yet we know that there's that they can die because we've seen a dead one. And or I think the exterior one. Yeah, I'm excited to see them used more in the MCU. And in terms of the characters, I think my two favorites were uh, Cersei and Kingo. I thought Kingo is absolutely hilarious. Like you said, Mike, the whole subplot of him creating this Bollywood dynasty, pretending like it's his grandfather, his father, when it's really just him, like going throughout history. And I like the idea of his assistant who was filming the documentary. And of course, that didn't go so well because nobody but Kingo wanted to be filmed for this documentary. And Cersei, I thought, did a really great job serving as the heart of this movie. I think again, like there was more we could have gotten from her, but I thought Gimma Chan did a really great job with this character. And I definitely um, 
want to see more of her. And just kind of as an aside, as others have mentioned, it was really funny seeing two actors from Game of Thrones competing for a love interest whose name was Cersei. <laughs> so it was Rob Stark and Jon Snow. So it was it was kind of a weird experience seeing them two together and not having flashbacks to Game of Thrones. But that was just yeah. They kind of play off that a little bit. I think, yes. when they especially when they first meet. Uh, I th- oh, yeah. I felt that they were like really kind of you know winking a nod to everybody out there. Like, hey, we know we you know. kind of just have to acknowledge it and then move on. I kept on yeah. whispering to Judy, you know death- nothing, Dane Whitman, you yeah. know nothing. <laughs> um, and and good call on uh, Kingo. I think, I don't know that I've ever really seen uh, Kamel, is that right? Um, in much uh, personally, but I, I, I think I always assumed that he was more of a comedian, more in uh, He's a stand-up. He is He's a stand-up up actor. But I mean, this is one of those, uh, you know, one of those many times where you see a comedian doing a little, getting a chance to do a little bit more and really nailing it. I oh, think. yeah. Like showing that he's capable of doing, you know, just to, as well he, dramatically. He, he's as he's he a lot more. He also, uh, I believe he wrote and directed The Big Sick. Yep. Um, oh, that's right. That's is, right. Yes. A, a great one to see if you haven't. He also was on Silicon Valley for a long time, too. Yes, he was. Yeah. So, uh, so good stuff. Um, Alex, what about you? What's something else you took away from the movie? There are some times when, when you just get a good character actor, uh, in there. And I, I would love to talk about how cool it was and how, how I love they just glide over, uh, the fact that Fastos is in a gay marriage. <laughs> uh, cause like when they show up, I'm like, Oh, is that supposed to be his son and grandson? And no. Okay. Moving on, but they don't make a big deal out of it. And I think it's, um, this is going to sound horrible, uh, but I really like the fact that they didn't make a big deal about it. They They normalized it. They normalized it. Exactly. So it wasn't like, oh, and here is my gay husband and all this other stuff. And and now you must pay attention. No, it's just like, look, this is it. And this is here. Um, And we move on. And I love the fact that like his husband was like, look, you've got a chance to allow our son to grow up. Uh, So yeah, you need to do this. And I thought that was awesome. Um, but I want to talk about the brilliance of Harish Patel. Um, <laughs> I loved him. And uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, uh, Run, Fat Boy, Run. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Of I course. have seen that. Yes. He's, he's the landlord uh, in that and becomes Simon Pegg's uh, coach uh, with the spatula and everything like that, which is hysterical. When he came on the screen, my, my whole face lit up. Because uh, he is one of those character actors that I don't mind when he's on the screen, and I realize that it's him um, because I'm just like I'm going to enjoy his performance, and I loved him in this one. And yeah, we need to do a count. How many cameras did he have? Um, <laughs> a lot. And uh, and you know, and how does that affect uh, how does that affect uh, uh, Kingo's career? when he clearly filmed him saying, yeah, I'm not going to try to help you save the world. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. but one of the other things I really, really loved about this film is that these guys are thousands of years old, thousands of years old. And did they have thousands of years of baggage or what? Hmm. Um, You had characters that were in love with each other that some people knew about and some people didn't um, and, and all of that. And it was because clearly 
yeah, you're going to find relationships in those kinds of situations because these are the only people that you can relate to. Yeah. And, and I thought so that, that was, I mean, I thought it was awesome. We've seen a lot of other things, uh, other properties where they have immortals or people who are thousands, millions of years old, what have you. And like, for example, the Highlander movies and shows and all that. But I felt like in this, they really, you could feel it. You could feel that they were, that they'd been around. It wasn't just actors playing old, quote unquote, or whatever. It was, uh, it, it just felt like they all had that, that weight to them. Um, and I thought that was, that's something that you can't really like direct. You can't like say like, you know, you need to, you need to act older. Um, but yet I think, uh, somehow they created that atmosphere and, and it worked in this one. I think with very few exceptions. Um, Kevin, what about you? What's something uh, uh, that you appreciated about the movie? One thing that I liked about this that you don't necessarily get in other Marvel movies is I felt like there were stakes. Um, when the Selma Hayek character died, you're kind of like, okay, the mentor character dies in every one of these goddamn movies. But when they killed off Gilgamesh, that made me think, well, none of these characters are household names and anything can happen in this movie. And that's kind of what got me to sit up and pay like pay attention because I love not knowing what's going to happen in a movie. Whereas with a lot of the superhero movies, it's enjoyable to watch them because I read the comic books as a kid, but I have a general sense that Captain America is going to emerge victorious at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, I must admit the Gilgamesh thing went like right by me in the beginning or whatever, because at one point when uh, one of them says like, you know, one of us hasn't died in, 7,000 years or whatever it was. Um, I was like, which one is he talking about? And, and it, you know, it wasn't until later that I was like, Oh, it's Gilgamesh. And I'm like, did we see Gilgamesh that much? And it seemed like he was only on screen for like maybe a minute. <laughs> and so I, I didn't I, really, it didn't really feel that that didn't feel like I didn't feel the weight of that one. But when Ajak died, I was, I was surprised by that. I did not expect Salma Hayek to go. I mean, we see her throughout the movie anyway. But I did not expect her character to die so soon. And it did, it was a swerve because I did not see it coming as to how she died. No, and I was taken in by the reveal. I didn't think, I didn't think Icarus was going to do a heel turn. I was, I thought the plotting of this was genuinely different from what I'm used to for Marvel movies. And that might be one of the reasons why it didn't blow up at the box office. Maybe a lot of people go to the Marvel movies wanting a standard Marvel movie. And this yeah. wasn't that. One of the things that I liked about phase one of the Marvel universe was that every movie was different. Thor was a Norse God film. It was all mythology based. Captain America was a classic serial, very Indiana Jones. Iron Man was a little bit of Frankenstein's monster uh, because of course, you know, he's building the better machine. Uh, and all of that. I think that there was a lot of that. And this movie goes back to that concept where it's like, we're going to give you something different and kind of hope that you go along for the ride. And in this case, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of people may have just gotten to the point where after phase two and three, every movie was basically Avengers part, whatever. No, it was all fitting into the whole mm-hmm. leading up to infinity war. Right. Now, you know, and that's what I'm hoping even with Spider-Man, that we're going to get something different, that it's, you know, going to be something completely not what we're expecting. Well, you kind of feel like, I mean, once they, you know, the Black Widow thing is over and then the next two movies have kind of been like phase one again, 
Like it's almost like we're rebooting um, not the whole franchise. Obviously there's still a lot of leftover stuff, but, but we are starting fresh again and we're introducing all these new people and these new characters and we're telling different stories. Although Shang-Chi, as much as I love that movie too, um, does have a lot of like, you know, if you strip it down, the plot is pretty much the same as a lot of the other Marvel movies. Um, it just looks different and it has a different kind of cast and a feel to it. But, but this one is, you're right, is, is epic in scope. It's different. Uh, the storytelling is completely different in this one. Here's what I think is different about what's going on now. This current phase of Marvel movies feels like the Bronze Age to me. And the Bronze Age is when Marvel got weird. And I'm kind of excited and a little trepidatious for that because I think, you know, we're going to have Multiverse of Madness. We're going to have the Spider-Man with his many different villains across time. And I think, I don't know if audiences are going to follow Marvel there because I don't think Marvel in the seventies was not the creative peak of Marvel in the sixties. I don't think it was until the X-Men hit the scene that they kind of got their mojo back. And so I'm wondering if history is going to repeat itself there too. If this gives us a shot for shot remake of Howard, the duck, I'm all in. Look, I'm I'm here for Omega the Unknown, guys. (laughs) And Machine Man. Of course, you can't forget Machine Man. Of course. Uh, Mike, what's something uh, about the movie for you? The movie, I felt, was very world-building. And it was, you know, you've had the whole Marvel Universe. This is now looking at it from a whole different angle. Yeah, they brought up stuff about what happened in the different movies, some of the different movies and stuff. Why didn't you get involved when Thanos was around, you know, stuff like that. And people were asking that question even way before the movie came out when they heard this about a huge super team. And, you know, where were they during the Avengers and blah, 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 and all these different events. And this movie answered that. And it I was, wonder if any of them were like blip. That's a good question. That is a really good question. You know, but, you know, technically they're not alive, so that they might not have been. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't know how they, I mean, they are, but they're not in, yeah, I don't know if I want to get into that, but that's, yeah. Yeah, but, the, but this also, you know, goes into, and this is something we've talked about with Loki, and we've talked about with, they're expanding the Marvel Universe. They're creating the cosmic universe for the MCU and, you know, guardians of the galaxy three, we're going to get Adam Warlock and the end scene. The first end scene in this leads right almost into that with the characters they introduced. And, you know, when they, when Pip and star Fox popped up at the end, people were cheering in the theater. People clapped when they saw not just Pip, voiced by Patton Oswald, but then you had Eros. I knew Patton Oswald was going to weasel his way in the MCU somehow. Dude, this is his third try <laughs> yeah. with the MCU. This is not his first because he was he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was yeah, Mur- yeah. Murdoch in the TV yeah. series. So, oh, yeah, but those have been like adjacent, right? They've been like, you know, he thinks I will also in, point out he was in Blade Trinity. So that's again, MCU, again but, those so. are like all adjacent things. Like now he's in it. Well, I mean, we'll see what the ha- remains to be seen, what happens, but yes, he's in it. Oh, proper. But I geeked out when I saw Pip. 
And I was just like, oh, they're going there, and which is awesome because that's, you know, Pip and Adam Warlock, that's, you know, what introduced in the comics also Drax the Destroyer and also, you know, other characters from that we know from the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's pretty awesome stuff, what we're getting. And this is just like when I saw them. And it was just like, oh, they are so going cosmic now in the Marvel Universe. This is just awesome. With just I, a I, hint of rapiness. A little <laughs> bit. Yeah, there's just a little bit of rapiness. Star Fox is a little bit of a controversial character there. I would have. Go- I never would have expected that one. Sorry, no. Michael. No, absolutely. I I have to. I have to. And I have to uh, um, reveal that um, the two. Um, end scenes actually may be more excited than probably anything else in the movie. I'm sorry, but seeing, uh, you know, seeing Star Fox and I don't really know Pip and Star Fox a lot. I mean, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't, I had forgotten that Star Fox was a, an eternal and B that, um, he was Thanos's brother. And I'm like, Oh, they are bringing that into the MCU. That really surprised me because, you know, obviously they, they, they could be twins, uh, I'm surprised it's not uh, Josh Brolin who's playing him. Uh, but <laughs> that would have been really uh, awesome. Actually, <laughs> nope, um, nope. You've got a sex symbol character. You bring on one of the sexiest men out there. You bring in Harry Styles. Mm. <laughs> so, Harry yeah. Styles is Thanos's brother. Just let that sit there for a minute. Just let that linger for a minute. Um, but I was like, wow, that's that's a lot to open up right at the end here. Uh, the same thing with the uh, the Black Knight. I was like, you're opening this door and then you're shutting it right in our face. And it's like, I'm really excited. Oh, damn. Like, I don't know when I'm going to see this this happen. But not only not only do you open up the Black Knight, but then we get our first introduction in the MCU proper to Blade. Mm-hmm. You know what? Mm-hmm. If they had just started playing a movie featuring Blade and Black Knight, like I just would have stayed in the theater for another I three hours. Too. Like just totally would have. Film. Like, and I totally anywhere. had to go to the bathroom. So like I was like sitting there going, just get the scene over with. You know, and <laughs> but yeah, no, like I I love the subtleness of of the Black Knight uh buildup. Because like if you know who the character is, then yeah, yep. you, you get it and everything like that. But if you might have recognized the sing the the logo that appeared mm. when they put Kit Harrington's name on the screen, <laughs> yeah, it's the red, fl- it's it's the Black Knight logo, yeah, yeah, and he doesn't get his limbs cut off. Don't worry, folks. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's not that. Black. It's just not a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that Black Knight. <laughs> I mean, they sort of like, you know. Tease us with the British heroes when they when we when we see like and it's just a throwaway prop Excalibur right, um, but it's like oh well that's that because that has some ramifications in the MCU as well yeah um, but uh, with Captain Britain and whatnot but I don't know if we're ever going to go there I don't know we'll see I mean nothing's off the table as far as Kevin Feige and, and them are concerned but. Uh, but no, I, I appreciated those. Um, you know, you guys have spoken so much about the visuals, and I agree. I I agree with that as well. But I also have to give credit to the audio as well. The soundtrack on this was really one of the best, I think. Um, and we talked a couple weeks ago about the soundtrack for Dune, which I appreciated as well. But um, 
The music by, um, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because I'm going to butcher that. And I have a history of doing that. And I'm not going to, you know, people can just already take a drink because, uh, and assume that I got it wrong uh, because it's just, it's so good. I, this is, I think this is the first time I've came out of a Marvel movie or any movie in a while. And I'm like, I need to buy that soundtrack because this is, this is really good stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, the, you know, the big names are the big names and a lot of us are more connected to find, you know, character wise connection with some of the, um, characters that are played by, I don't want to say lesser known actors, but not the big ones, right? Like Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie. Um, but I, I got to give them credit for those. I mean, even Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie in this MCU look comfortable. I don't think they look out of place. I mean, I know Alex, you've mentioned before, it's like sometimes these big names take you out of the movie. Yeah. I didn't feel like that happened with either one of these for me. No. You know, I mean, to their credit, because sometimes those big personalities can, can kind of overshadow everything else. I actually and, uh, was really impressed how they, you know, they used Angelina Jolie. It wasn't, they weren't forcing her down our throats. And it wasn't like that or Selma High. Like they weren't going, bleh, bleh, you know, these are the most important characters in the movies. You know, you didn't see Angelina Jolie for almost a half hour, 35 minutes in this film. And that was pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and plus, I, I give her credit, too, because she doesn't say a lot. Um, so she doesn't have a lot of dialogue. And yet her the tragedy of her character is 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 there every single time she's on the screen, I felt like um, it's like my heart went out to her every time I saw that character because of just the, the baggage as you called it um, uh, that was there with her. And it was more, it seemed like it was affecting her more than it was anybody else. And I was really curious about that. And to your point, actually, I was really curious about a lot of these characters and I wish we had spent like, if this was a, if this was a done as a, as an, Disney Plus series, we could have gotten like an episode or two, like on each one of these characters, and that would have been really great. I think I would have signed up for that big time. Oh yeah, and the interesting thing about this movie is that I feel like a lot of my personal criticisms of it aren't necessarily things they did wrong. It's just things they did that I wanted to see more of. So I'm hopeful yeah. that some of the questions that I have will be addressed later just like i was really curious about the concept of they're going to rebel against the celestials and save planet earth what is it really about planet earth that made them after all this time decide to break the cycle because obviously there's got to be other planets that are interesting and that have these really rich diverse sources of life so no, what not really yes yeah, so. <laughs> no, 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 no. If, you, if you explore outside life uh, in the other systems it's just it's kind of boring it's fresh <laughs> But yeah. And then just also the concept of you have these Eternals choosing to have relationships with mortals. Just I wanted to see a little bit more about that, like the decision to engage in a relationship with someone that's going to grow old and die. That's going to be just like a blip. And so I feel like there were so many interesting concepts raised that I wish the film had dived into just a little bit deeper. But maybe we hopefully we will see some more of that in future MCU films. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because a lot of times in superhero movies or TV shows, if the hero is, you know, super powered or immortal in some ways that, you know, 
think about these people are just human they're eventually going to you know grow old and die while you'll stay the same age that was invincible that was you know a couple other you know vampires or you know other shows and it's just it's just interesting to hear that again and again and the rationing for each one is different which is yeah. pretty darn awesome Sorry, when you mentioned vampires, that, that was one of my favorite moments too. When Kingo was mentioning how he met like his valet and, and that he tried to kill him because he thought he was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, and then you know, vamp again, vampires exist in the MCU, or yep. we're about to find that out with you know with Blade as well. So, um, and you know, in a lot of ways, just like Dune, it's this two and a half hour epic that is not finished. Like it's, I mean, it's, this is not a part one, although it, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a chapter one, like Dune felt like, I mean, Dune just felt like, yeah, you just have to, you know, read, you need to read to figure out what's going on. This has a story that, that actually sort of ends, but then it it sort of ends and it begins. I mean, there's obviously a lot more story to tell here. And, uh, and I, and I take it, you guys are all on board for, for Eternals part two. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, I really like this one, and I, I'm I'm on board with seeing what happens next. Um, they they like like Mike said earlier, great foundation for a universe build. Um, I, I think they did a great job with that. There are interesting things that I'm now thinking about, um, like the fact that we could see Icarus return. It's not like they can't remake them. No, absolutely. Uh, right. Which I hadn't even thought about. The same with Ajax. Um, so I, I think that's kind of an interesting aspect, as well as uh, you know, kind of seeing where they go with arrows. Did anybody else, when the Celestial was coming out, think of Queen's News of the World album? A little bit, yeah. Because <laughs> like I was looking at it, going, "That's the Queen cover right there." <laughs> oh, and I I totally geeked out when Pink Floyd started playing at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. When the, you know, and that was just like, and it, it was so perfect. You know, that's one of my favorite albums by them. And for the clocks and, you know, and the ticking and everything. <laughs> and it just, it, cause it was the dawn of man, of civilization. So yeah. it worked perfectly with it. And then, you know, it's the end of the world and it was just awesome. When they played that, it was like, oh, damn, they went there. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't go cheap with it because they could have just as easily thrown in R.E.M. No, And they I didn't know. because that song would have killed the mood. Yeah, no, this um, kept the mood. It was so somber. And yeah. that is such a dark, dark song. I love a Skeeter Davis needle drop. Yeah, it's true. It is true. Yeah. So uh, it was- Eternals is going to be one of those films that it's, it's going to be the Empire of of the marvel universe it's it's a dark film it's one that's very divisive at first and i think in 20 years it's going to be talked about like it's a masterpiece mm-hmm. i could well, say it, it it does have it does seem to have ramifications for the rest of the mcu i mean we'll see if uh, the big bad for this phase has been revealed i mean obviously you've got celestial saying i'm going to be coming back like that's probably something that you're gonna have to like alert the Avengers on, you know. Like, like <laughs> I, I wonder if after now that we've seen the character and how big it is and all of that, and we have that aspect to us, are we gonna get Galactus? I thought the same thing. 
Cool. Yeah. Thank goodness. Because <laughs> the, you know, the, the look of the celestial is not that far removed from your mm. classic conception of Galactus. And I was wondering, are they going to make Galactus a, a celestial? Who comes I'm okay with this. I'm okay the with Earth? this. Like I could, I could see that. Although I'm really holding out for if, if they bring the fantastic four in, I want the villain to be Namor. Like I think they got to put doom yeah. on a shelf for a bit. And, and well, I think the Galactus story is um, like, we've seen that in a movie. Yeah. Really hoping. I know it's Namor is effort. supposed to be showing up though in the Wakanda too, the black movie. Well, that so, would be awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, well, you're, so you're going to get Namor sooner than you expect, and it's going to be amazing to see. That's more world building, and it's yeah. it's just, and they're not shoving it down your throat, and that's what Marvel is doing really smart. Yeah. Well, it's the opening chapters of this uh, this this new phase and this new saga, right? We don't know what the big bad's going to be. We don't know how it's going to all tie together. We're probably going to have like I'm surprised, you know, we didn't get a post uh, credit scene with uh, Julia Louise Drive's character meeting up with Celestial. <laughs> um, like <laughs> that's <laughs> not yet, but who knows, right? Um, she could be enlisting him as well. Um, but who knows? Um, Marvel is accelerating content, though. Like, there's more movies coming out every year. There's the Disney Plus shows. I yep. wonder if there's going to be people tapping out and saying, like, you know what? I haven't seen the last couple. Enough's enough. I'm going to rewatch The Sopranos now. That's that's well, the James Cameron uh, approach of, and yeah, there could be some hero, uh, so, some some uh, 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 what's the what do you call it? Hero uh, fatigue. Overdose. Yeah. Hero fatigue. Um, that said. If you keep coming up with original ideas, people will show up for it, Mr. I'm making Avatar 2, 3, and 4 together. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was a time where I, you know, back in the 70s and 80s when it was so scarce to see a comic book related property on live action that I felt compelled, even if I didn't really care about the characters in comics, I felt compelled to watch. And I and that carried me almost all the way through, like even to the CW stuff and all that. I was just like, this is based on a comic book. I need to watch it. I need to support it, even though I didn't really give a care about like that particular character or whatever. Um, but there's been so much material now that you're kind of like, I can tune out. I don't have to watch everything. And I think maybe that's what people are feeling too about the MCU. There's so much out there that you know what? If I tap out on this you know if i tap out on eternals then you know obviously when that character comes up again uh you know i'll i'll be caught up and i won't need to you know i won't need to watch all of that stuff but if you do watch all that stuff i think it's pretty amazing and it's it's good so um i certainly still think they're bringing the the same consistency and quality to it which i think is important if the quality and consistency was starting to, to, to die then I'd be like, hey, this is, you know, this is good. It's going to get burnout. But as long as Faggy and the rest of them and Disney and Marvel or whatever keep doing this kind of material, you know, it might not hit with everybody, but I, it, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's nothing to like, you know, quit, you know, uh, the whole franchise about. I don't, not, I think a lot of people who are saying that, you know, fatigue is out there and maybe, the, you know, Kevin Faggy is, is making some mistakes. I think that it's still too early to call. I think let's let's give it another like year or so, and then we'll see, and we'll be like, no, he's a genius. 
he's just a teen. He's done it again. I don't know how. Nobody else can seem to get it right, but he manages to do it right all the time, you know? It was interesting, though, because, you know, this made me more excited for the Marvel Universe. This and Shang-Chi both gave me hope that we're just not going to get the superhero smash, you know, cosmic superhero or, oh, poor Peter with his Peter tingle and everything over and over again. And, you know, I'm I'm very excited about this and I'm very Curious to see what the next few films are going to be. They've got some great things coming. You know, Doctor Strange is going to be Marvel's first real horror movie. And, you know, and it's going to be very interesting to, you know, see, because you have Sam Raimi running that sucker. And that's going to be awesome to see how it comes about. So if Bruce Campbell doesn't show up in it somewhere, I'll be shocked. (laughs) All right, so, uh, yes, we don't want to go on, uh, like, for two and a half hours like the Eternals did. So, to wrap it up, Ashley, real quick, any last words or, you know, final thoughts about Eternals for now? Yeah, I definitely encourage people to go out and see it. Even though it's kind of dividing people, I think it's an, it's an important film in the MCU. You should go see it, form your own opinion, even if it's not necessarily your favorite. There's a lot of interesting stuff to see, and I continue to be really excited for phase four. I hope that people will give it a chance. I know that it's tricky with the pandemic messing up movie theater releases and everything like that, but I think there's some really exciting storytelling happening here in phase four that I think is going to be well worth our time. Awesome. Alex? Yeah, I think uh, overall uh, this movie is really excellently put together. Um, it, It takes a moment to kind of really get ramped up, but Overall, a fantastic experience. And a lot of what they did in the movie is all practical effects. Mm-hmm. So if just you're a fan of that sort of thing, go to the movie. Uh, I was talking with uh, our good friend Lacey earlier uh, as I was coming home from the movie. And she's like, I want to see it again. And I think she's going to like it even better the second time. Uh, and I think I would, too. This is, this is, it's been a while since I've been wanting to go back to a movie theater to watch a film. And this That's is one of them. That's so cool. Kevin? After years of seeing Marvel diminish Jack Kirby's contributions, watching the end credits and seeing that enormous screen saying based on the Marvel comics by Jack Kirby made my heart sing. (laughs) Yes, that was a long time coming. Because this was really like the first time. Is this the first thing they've done that's been like 100% him? Yes, this is the first Marvel movie that's based on a 100% Kirby creation. All yeah, the others have been co-creations. Um, they've been good about crediting him ever since the settlement sure. with the Kirby family in 2014. But this was, uh, it was, it was really nice. Um, yeah. Yes. Awesome. And Mike, I'm I'm thrilled with it, and you know, I was glad to watch it with Judy because she didn't have any clue who the characters were. This was, you know, and I was worried. Truthfully, I was like, "Oh, is she gonna like it? Is she not?" And she she walked out of there like that was awesome, you know, type thing. And it was that's the coolest feeling in the world, you know, as somebody who's coming into my world. Is, you know, into the geekdom of comics and certain characters. Yeah, you know, everybody knows Spider-Man. Everyone knows Thor. Everyone knows Iron Man. You know, hell, we got a Superman reference in this movie. 
which was pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I, I don't, like that. But. I, don't, I don't wear capes. And then, okay, Clark, you know, <laughs> which was, it was fun. And I thought it was, there's so much to enjoy this. And I'm looking forward to seeing this again. And I'm curious, to, I'm going to be curious to see what happens with these characters. I'm actually like going, you know, this could be really interesting to see. And, you know, where the what, what this world building is going on, and in Feige we trust. You have to almost say, yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is not the last time we'll be visiting the MCU this year, so stay tuned oh, no. because we've also got uh, Spider-Man coming up and Hawkeye. So Hawkeye's in two uh, weeks, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we won't have it on the show until it's over. You know, until they're in the show. So, uh, um, which I think will be is that next year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd have looked at the schedule. But in any case, we'll be back in the MCU pretty soon. And uh, we will be back uh, after this message to close out the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and today this geek girl is talking about the Netflix show Inside Job. So I heard that Alex Hirsch, who created Gravity Falls, was working on a new show. He isn't the creator or the showrunner, but is doing a voice, and I believe he's a producer as well. So I had to check it out, since every other show that he has been involved in, I have loved. Now, this show is not for kids, so yeah, just... Be aware of that. It focuses on a secret government organization that basically runs the entire world, from the president to random conspiracy theories to just everything. We get to meet a very silly cast of characters who are all very eccentric and crazy in their own ways, and watch as the main character, Reagan, tries to be a good supervisor boss to all these crazies. You have scientists, a mushroom alien, at least I think he was an alien, a character brought in basically to be a hype man, corrupt government types, and so on. This show is very funny. It picks fun at conspiracy theories, the world in general, and it's just a really, really good laugh. I think one of my favorite episodes was the episode about the lizard people, and then I also really, really liked the two final episodes of season one where Reagan has to go into her own brain to figure out a password. Overall, this is a really fun watch if you like cartoons aimed at adults. The animation is good, but it's pretty generic, and the stories are interesting, and the characters are crazy. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? You're going to have to listen to find out. Have you been searching for that one heavy metal podcast that covers all of your favorite geeky topics as well? Well, look no further. The Metal Geeks Podcast is here to save the day. Whether you are into video games, films, comic books, theme parks, or even, yes, heavy metal then the Metal Geeks Podcast is a place for you. Check us out on all of your favorite podcasting apps, and we are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky, and keep it metal. Before we close out tonight, let's have got a little message from our friends over at Inked Marketing. They're sponsoring Stone Harbor Comics. Royce Atkins is doing The Legend of Althea. 
Legend of Althea is a sci-fi coming-of-age story about a teenage girl named Althea who receives the ability to heal people following an artificial heart transplant. After her dad succumbs to an unknown terminal illness, Althea must learn to harness her new powers to save her dad before his time runs out. But when the wolf pack, a notorious street gang, learns of her ability, they seek to see the use of Ophelia to their own selfish agenda, as if trying to finish high school wasn't hard enough. Checked out Stone Harbor Comics over at Inked.pub. Definitely worth checking out. And, you know, if you get a chance, check out our friends at Ink Marketing. They've got a lot of great things going on. They actually helped Mike Gordon get across the finish line for his work over at Tiki Zombie. All right. Let's close up this show. Alex Autry, thank you so much for returning. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I get to hang out with some of the coolest people and the two mics. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We love no you, worries. too. Yeah. Okay. Anything you want to shout out about? Um, this is always a, a fascinating week for wrestling fans because November 9th is the anniversary of one of the most famous incidents in professional wrestling, the Montreal Screwjob. Um, Cultaholic, which is an amazing YouTube channel, is going to be doing a really cool uh, uh, documentary on their site about the true story of the Montreal Screwjob. And if you haven't gotten sick of it already, you should check it out. Cool. Very interesting. Yep. And it's a day in infamy and it changed a lot of wrestling now as we know it. It really did. It was the, it was the beginning of the end of kayfabe. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Very much yeah. so. And Ashley Pauls, thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you. I always enjoy talking about movies with the crew. We always love having you. Anything you want to shout out about? Um, just thought my review for The Eternals is up on the ESO podcast website, and I'm looking forward to writing about uh, Ghostbusters in a couple weeks and then all the holiday movies coming out. So it will be busy through the end of the year, I think, for movie fans. Nope, totally. It's like almost every week after this next one. I it think it's like movie, a s- movie, movie, movie. Like a summer blockbuster season almost. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I think well, this was the summer of like last year. Yeah, we're all just, like, cramming it in. That totally makes sense. But, Ashley, thank you again. Your review on this movie actually was awesome on the ESO webpage. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything, as always. And, Kevin, thank you, my friend. Oh, you're very welcome. This was a blast. I'm glad you joined us tonight and, you know, was able to bring a little bit of your knowledge of the Kirby era, too. So it was pretty cool. I am always excited to enthuse about Jack King Kirby. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, Sure, yeah. As part of my continuing efforts to find the smallest niche podcast listener audience possible, I have a new podcast about the television show Moonlighting called Let's Get Chatty about David and Maddie. Uh, It's available at (laughs) moonlightingpodcast.com. I was like, why not do a a podcast about a show that is streaming nowhere and long out of print on DVD? Hey, how do you ha- you have the old versions of it, or um, the, you can get DVDs through the library? Uh, li- and there are there are episodes streaming on YouTube as well. Okay, well, that's fair. And you know, for a lot of people who don't know, that's where Bruce Willis got his start, guys. <laughs> that that and also Ashley Bruce Willis actually had hair back then. 
<laughs> a little bit. Wow. <laughs> he was funny and charming then, too, and uh, something happened <laughs> yeah. at some point. Then he had a music career, and it all went downhill after that. That's true. Bl- blame it on Bruno. Blame it on Bruno. <laughs> like Samson, he lost his hair and his mojo went out the door. He lost his um, mojo. <laughs> I also have a podcast about skateboarding movies called Gleaming the Tube, which can be found at gleamingthetube.net. The most recent episode is about Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, because Freddy Krueger rides a skateboard in that one. Awesome, dude. Oh, God. Freddy on wheels. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. Thank you again. And Mr. Mike Gordon, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Yes. Uh, since we didn't get a chance to do um, a creative outlet this this week, I just wanted to give a shout out to our good friend, Van Allen Plexico, who's currently got a Kickstarter going for a comic based on one of his Sentinel characters, Pulsar. It's called Pulsar Blind Date. And uh, I read the comic. I've got a copy of the comic at Dragon Con, and it is fun. Um, and it's very much like if you're, if you're a Marvel fan, uh, so is Van. And he uh, based the Sentinels on a lot of uh, Marvel characters. And, and so there's that, that, that same sensibility. So uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. You can check it out. But it's Pulsar Blind Date, available now on Kickstarter. That's awesome. Definitely check it out. Van is pretty darn amazing, folks. If you get a chance, help him out and help him get over across the finish line because he's pretty much almost there. So very much. And even if he gets there, there's, I'm sure, going to be bonus material. And, you know, what do they call it, Mike, for after the Kickstarter? Uh, stretch goals. Stretch goals. That's it. So very cool. All right. My shout out is actually a movie that Judy and I watched over the last week or so. It's called The Sparks Brothers. It's a documentary by Edgar Wright, who we talked about earlier. And it is a film about Ron and Russell Mail, who um, have been performing together since the 1960s as the band Sparks. If you don't know who Sparks is, you're not alone. A lot of people don't know who Sparks is. And it is an amazing documentary about this band that was always on the cusp of greatness. And a lot of people already think they're great. And they are pretty amazing. They are avant-garde. They're always fresh. They're not ever what you expect them to be. And it's pretty darn awesome hearing the how they went from you know being this like punk band from in the early 1970s that people thinking they were from the UK but they were just two brothers from California and which is pretty awesome and you know I had first heard about Sparks probably in the early 80s when they worked with uh, Jane Whelan of the Go-Go's and they did this great song called Cool Places and it's, you know, I've heard other songs by them, other albums, and they are just amazing, both as musicians and as artists and as people. And it's just pretty awesome if you get a chance to see it. It is streaming right now on Netflix. And, you know, it's definitely worth two hours of your time. And it shows how much of an influence to all these different bands and artists out today over the years and it's just it's just it's almost like a who's who and it's like you're right directing you know how bad can this be you know 
you know, this is, you know, Edgar Wright, you know, who's brought us many, many great films. So definitely worth checking out the Sparks Brothers, folks. I'm loving this trend of like name directors doing music documentaries about their favorite band with the Todd Haynes Velvet Underground movie. Jim Jarmus did one about the Stooges, and then you had this one. Oh, exactly. I'm getting ready to watch the Velvet Underground one next week, and it's I'm looking forward to seeing that one. I followed the Velvet Underground for years when I was in college, and it was just it's awesome to be able to, you know. I discovered their music back then. Of course, I was much, much too young to ever see them in concert. But, you know, it was neat because Lou Reed and a few other folks from the Velvet Underground actually did a reunion, like, early 90s or something, I think it was. Yeah, it was early 90s. Yeah, because I know, you know, and it was just an amazing concert if you ever get a chance. You can find that up on YouTube also, I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and that do- the documentary is phenomenal. Yeah, and it's definitely worth checking out. And, you know, music that you've heard other artists perform, the Velvet Underground, you know, were the pioneers of this, which is pretty amazing also. So definitely worth checking out. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We are going to be back again next week. And get your holiday spirit on, folks, because next week is our annual holiday gift guide. That's right. We're doing it before Thanksgiving finally here in the States because you know what? We want you guys to go find really cool geek gifts for all your friends and neighbors. Yes, I know a lot of cool gifts are going to be hard to find this year because of, you know, shipping and all the, you know, empty shelves and stuff. But us here at ESO, we're going to take care of you. We'll help you find it. We're going to help you give get good, really good suggestions. And it might be surprising what we're going to come up with. So it should be tons of fun to do. And, you know, we definitely would love to hear from you. What did you guys think of this movie? Did you enjoy it? Did you not? Please write us. Feedback at earthstation1.com. Definitely would love to hear what you have to say. And as always, as we like to also say... Thank you for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and Audible. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. And if you get a chance, please give us five stars wherever you listen to the show. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Alex Autry, Ashley Pauls and Kevin Cafferty. Thank you for listening to Earth Station One. We will see you here next time. Stay safe. Hug your loved ones. Enjoy the fall weather, folks. Winter's right around the corner. And please get vaccinated, as we always like to say. We're out of here. Peace. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. 
We want to hear from you. Please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the EarthStation1 podcast. Peace, and we're done. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> As the show's over, it's time to head home. See you next week here at EarthStation1. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.